Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is April 13th. I am David Gasper, joined by my co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. After a rough first week, the Brewers have been winning some games here lately, so there's a lot more positive stuff for us to discuss this week. And joining us as our special guest on the Cold Brew Podcast is former Brewer and current Valley Sports Wisconsin analyst and co-host of the Lockdown Brewers podcast, Vinny Rotino. Vinny, uh, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to, to come on here and talk to us. No, thanks for inviting me. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot about this uh, show and this podcast. I'm, it's it's an honor. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, forward to, looking forward to our discussion for sure. Yeah, glad that uh, you're spreading, spreading the word around and more people hearing yeah. about us and and it's good to have a, a UWL Eagle here on on with me. We finally got a we got Matt outnumbered here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> Eagle through and through. I almost did a like a, a bird call right there. I decided against it because <laughs> never in my life have I done something like that. When someone mentioned the lacrosse Eagles, felt compelled to do so. Decided not to. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah no, I, call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, yeah, man, that feels like forever ago because it was 20 years ago at this point. Flies by. So, uh, but no, it's lacrosse eagle through and through for sure. Yeah, I remember we were talking. We were talking right, uh, right before we started recording here, and I told you I, re- I graduated from there in 2019. You're like, oh, hey, great, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah you made your yeah. You may both be lacrosse guys, but Vinny's from closer to my era of college. So at least I feel a little bit better in that respect. There we go. We got, got the happy medium. There yeah. you go. Yep. <laughs> Matt, where did you go to school? Sorry. I went to UW for a few years. Uh, okay. Early, early 2000. So 2001 nice. to what 5-ish. Okay. So we're speaking the same language in terms of generation. And David's exactly. a completely different <laughs> generation. <laughs> What do we even call you guys now? X, Y, Z? Uh, do we start over at A? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm technically know. a millennial, which kind of behave like one at times, but um, trying to break those habits for sure. Yeah. I meant like the I meant like the cutoff date between millennial and Gen Z. So I so I'm just like I don't even know. Like I was born like you know mid '90s, so it's like you still got like some of the '90s leftover stuff, and then it's like early 2000s, and yeah, it's just it's kind a of big the, range. That's yeah. definitely a big range for because so much changed yeah. in the in the meantime there. Um, but during those years, um, the the '90s and, and early 2000s, uh, the Brewers weren't that great, um, as a lot of us may have painfully remembered. Um, and then, you know, towards the towards the middle of the, the 2000s there, things started getting better, which is coincidentally right when Vinny Rotino showed up here. Of course. At the level. <laughs> of course. Not a coincidence. Come yeah, on. Not a coincidence at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, you, you had your, uh, you know, playing career for a couple years at the big league level. Uh, then you retired a couple years ago and. Uh, you took on a gig as a as a pro scout with the Texas Rangers for a couple of years. Um, so j- can you just kind of like talk about that for a little bit? Just you know, being like a pro scout and you know, you know, what's the difference between you know being a pro scout and being an amateur scout? Besides, obviously, you know the the type of guys you're going after. But how do you approach that? A- approach pro scouting versus amateur scouting? Because with pro scouting, it's like, oh yeah, this uh, Blake Snell guy, he's good. Yes get him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a long kind of journey. So I, I retired from playing um, a, one of the scouts for the Rangers actually was one of the guys that wanted to draft me and sign me. He was actually an amateur scout for the Florida Marlins at the time, way back in 2002. I remember him going to MATC in Madison for a tryout. Um, yeah. And, and he said, Hey, man, I'm going to try and get you, you know, invited to spring training. His name is Scott Engler. Good friend. He and I had kept in touch a little bit over my playing career. Marlins obviously didn't end up signing me. The Brewers signed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and I kept in touch over my playing career. And then when I was getting towards the end, I saw him at a game and I knew it was my last year. I was playing 2016 in Charlotte, AAA for the Brewers. 
I'm sorry, for the White Sox. And um, I knew it was going to be my last year. Saw him at a game. He was scouting the game, actually. Talked to him. I said, hey, Scott, help me get a job. <clears throat> you know, I'd love to scout. And so he ended up helping me out and got me. It's <laughs> extremely difficult to get a, a pro scouting job. Guys don't leave those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, except me, because I, <laughs> I ended up leaving it four <laughs> years later. This is too much travel. I kind of uh, left the game. But to answer your question more directly, it's it's the difference between pro scouting and amateur scouting is that you are trying to uncover the you're on trying to uncover the Freddie Peralta, right? Mm-hmm. So you're the the player to be named later in a huge deal. Um, it, not necessarily you have to hit on that guy, but if you hit on that guy and he's Freddie Peralta, right? And, and what we hope Freddie Peralta could end up being for the Brewers. I mean, that is, I mean, if you think about it in terms of dollar value, right? I mean, it's, hundred million bucks. If, if Freddie yeah. Peralta is, is a, is a number one at some point or a number two, or even a mid rotation guy with how much those guys are signing for these days. Um, that's, that'll change an organization, right? I mean, and, and clearly he's making an impact on this team right now. Um, that's the, so another, another example would be, I mean, these are, two, that's a, that's a pretty big example that Freddie Peralta deal, but then there's the Fernando Tatis jr. And obviously that's, yeah. Very, very rare. Um, but that's what that's what pro scouts do. Uh, yeah, you see Blake Snell, not difficult. Yeah. Not difficult to say how nasty he is. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, too, I mean, Brandon Woodruff had a five or a six ERA in AAA, right? So how do you how do you scout him? And now he's a, a top of the rotation guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a lot harder than it looks. You kind of you kind of try and it's trial and error. To be honest, you get good at it after you watch, you know, hundreds and hundreds of games and write thousands of scouting reports in front of a computer for twelve hours some days. Right? Um, it was a fascinating job. That part of the job I didn't love, but at the same time, it made you very very familiar with the players so that you could speak intelligently about them um, to to the GM or the people who are making the decisions. Uh, fascinating job. Absolutely loved it. Um, it. We'll continue to kind of do that in this role that I'm in now with the Brewers as, as the uh, kind of the broadcast analyst for pre and post. I, I'll my way back into the game, so to speak, and just kind of like evaluate players looking at the game a little bit differently in this role mm-hmm. um, than a scout, just because you kind of have to be a homer a little bit, to be honest, and, and sugarcoat some things. You, didn't, you Obviously, you didn't sugarcoat things as a scout, right? You had to tell right. it like it was on players. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, sorry, long-winded version of, of that, but yeah, I think that's um, kind of the purpose of this discussion anyway, right? So get, right. get in the weeds a little bit on some of this stuff, but loved it. I, I absolutely loved it and would uh, talk players to anybody, anytime, Anywhere, I love, love doing that, breaking things down. And like you were mentioning, now you get to talk players on TV, um, being on yeah. Daily Sports Wisconsin. So for those who haven't kind of heard, you know, how did that opportunity kind of come to be now that we uh, get to be graced by your presence <laughs> on our TV sets? Good way to put that. Um, <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Sorry, I was just watching the Cubs score run here. We're recording this on Tuesday night, right? Oh, man. Um, but anyway, against Woodruff, is that his first earned run? Give it up? Possibly. Um, uh, he had a couple on opening day. Did he? That's right. That's right. That's yeah. where he, he kind of couldn't get on. He couldn't get in a good rhythm that night. I remember that. Okay. Um so what was your question? I'm I'm sorry. So as a how did I how did that job come to be with yeah, Allies? Yeah. Yeah, so as I was scouting with the Texas Rangers, look, baseball, just like anything else, is who you know, right? So mm-hmm. um, Mike Anderson, good friend of mine, colleague with the Texas Rangers in the scouting department, he's 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 pretty influential with with the front office there with with the Rangers. His brother's Mike uh, Brian Anderson, the voice of the Brewers. Oh. So mm-hmm. so Brian and I, and I knew Brian a little bit from when I played. Because he's been with the Brewers that long, hasn't he? Yeah, he got there in 2007, I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I think one of his first years was one of my first years up there in September there. So 
he and I knew each other from then. And then whenever I came into town and scouted, I always talked, you know, talked it up with, with Brian and with rock, um, whenever I was in the press box, um, cause brewers were one of my organizations that I had to cover. And, um, so he and I just got to be friends and, and he mentioned to Mike after I told Mike that I was leaving the game and, and had to transition out of scouting. He said, you know, he kind of mentioned that he thought I would be good uh, as a broadcaster. I don't, I, I hope to prove him right <laughs> at some point. I have no <laughs> idea how I'm going to be at this, but um, yeah, tomorrow's my first gig. I know we're recording this before it airs, but on Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday, Tim Dillard and I will get up there and, who knows? I got to be ready for anything with him. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> yeah. He's so damn entertaining. But that's how that came about. Yeah, and uh, we had Dillard on a couple weeks ago. It was like right before the announcement of, of you guys coming in, so he wasn't willing to talk about like any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. He, he was being super tight-lipped, but yeah, he's been him. Him and Dario there on the desk have been uh, pretty fun and. Yeah. He's been around the Brewers long enough that I think you guys were playing minor league ball um, together as well. Did did you play on the same team as him in the minors? And, and what was it like having him having Dillard as a teammate? Yeah. So Dillard and I played together. Jeez. Now that I think of it, he was in extended spring training with me in 2003. When I first signed, I was you know, scared I was going to get released the day after I got signed and ended up going to extended spring training. Dillard shows up. Because he was one of those draft and follow players. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So he was drafted, I believe, in 2002 and then signed that following spring. And he was brought in to extended spring training. Uh, I think, did he go to a, a junior college? I believe he did. And he and he showed up at the extended spring training. That I, so I knew him all the way back then. I played in Helena with him in 2003. Beloit, 2004, we were roommates in Beloit. We piled like nine guys into like a two-bedroom apartment. Oh man. Um, he's a prima donna, as you can tell on camera. But he got <laughs> he got one of the bedrooms. So unfortunately, oh. I don't know how that came about. But uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. Um. So then, oh five, we played together in Huntsville. Oh six in Nashville. Seven and eight in Nashville. He may have repeated Huntsville, but anyway, I, yeah, I was teammates with him for a bunch of years in a row. He's been a good friend. Uh, I, at this point, he's I've followed him quite extensively on his in his Twitter career in his mm-hmm. social media career. It's, um, it's quite the entertainment. Um, those videos are absolutely hilarious. But he's he's been awesome. I mean, he's gotten really good at the broadcast gig in a very short amount of time too. So he's been fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it, it should be a it should be a good. Um you know, back and forth with, with you two guys, since you spent all those years together as teammates in the minor league, that, that should be good back and forth and, uh, and good TV. And you've got your Twitter game, uh, going now, going strong. And, uh, oh, I appreciate everyone, that. <laughs> yeah, everyone should, uh, follow him at Vinny Rotino on Twitter. Go ahead and give him a follow. Um, and, and yeah, you've been given a lot of, uh, you know, some, some like, you know, scouting background on a lot of these guys, you know, you're watching Woodruff and Burns and, Kira and whoever else and you know you're giving you know, a little bit of the the scouting tips and just kind of like what you're seeing and, and that background's kind of showing through and um you know one of the guys one of the first guys here i want to talk about is is keston Hira. obviously he's gotten off to a slow start uh this season but lately in the past couple of games he's been showing some signs of breaking out had that home run uh, had the rbi base hit the other day um so he's starting to get a few hits um, but what have you really kind of seen from Keston Hira? And I mean, a, a, as a hitter, you know, throughout your entire career, you're going to have slumps. You're going to have ups and downs. Um, so, you know, wh- when you're in a slump like that, what do you have to do to to break out? What do you think Hira has to do to to break out of his slump? Um, look, he's kind of a guy. This is what I'll tell fans. And I'll tell you guys on the show, I don't know how I'm going to present this if, if I get asked this similar question on TV, because I, I feel pretty strongly about the fact, and I talked to Andy Haynes a little bit about this, and, and Andy Haynes has been very open about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with him. He's He may be one of these guys that kind of has to develop and takes his lumps at the big league level, which is hard, right? It's hard to mm-hmm. kind of be patient with that. I mean, I saw that with Joey Gallo, right, with the Texas Rangers. I mean, 
and it's very weird. I got to be honest. It's very weird to have me come on here and, and compare. And they're they're very similar players. Compare Joey Gallo, six foot four. I've never seen a ball hit farther in person than Joey Gallo. I mean, in in New Orleans, if you've ever been to that ballpark, over everything in right field, over the pool, over like into the woods, just just absolutely. So, so that kind of power, and, and Keston doesn't have that kind of raw, raw power, but mm-hmm. he's got incredible raw power for this five foot ten kid, <laughs> and, and it, it's just it, it's kind of crazy. I'm comparing Joey Gallo and Keston here together. The reason why they're similar is yes, they're both very very talented. Um, but they also have some swing and miss in their game, right? And and those guys tech, you know, they don't. There hasn't been a good history with the guys that have that kind of swing and miss, right? In the history of the game, I mean, the analytics on this are kind of clear. You strike out and swing and miss that much, it's tough. Um, however, you can survive and you can kind of, you know, Joey Gallo's proven that he's been able to thrive at times in the big leagues um, because of the way that he can impact the baseball. So as long as you're doing damage and impacting the baseball, um, you can survive with that kind of swing and miss. Is Kest, I don't think Keston's that bad with the swing and miss. I mean, Joey Gallo's strikeout rate is is crazy, and I know Keston has been, has been high as well, but I'm trying to find his minor league numbers here and to see. I don't think his strikeout rate was quite as high as Joey Gallo's was in the minors. Someone check me on that. I'll have Tim Dillard's stat fairy that he keeps bringing up. Check me on that. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I, I know at the big league level, Hira had like a 30% strikeout rate in 2019. Mm-hmm. Then he was at mm-hmm. like 34, 35 last year. And he's at yeah. like 40, I think, to start yeah. this year. But that's a very small sample size. Yes. It's not sustainable for success with that kind of strikeout rate. My, I, I, I do want to see, and I know it goes up once you go from the minor leagues to the big leagues. So, you know, historically on all, all players uh, just because they're going to expose your weaknesses. But with Keston, I'm just kind of a believer to be honest, because the ability to, when he, when he's right, when his rhythm looks right um, and he's actually seeing the, trying to attack the baseball rather than it seems like at times he gets really late. And for me, what it looks like is he's, he's kind of like thinking through this, Right. That's mm. a big toe tap with a big leg kick. That's just the feel I get that he, mm-hmm. he knows that he's what he's got to do. And he almost like thinks too much and it's easy to do. I mm-hmm. think once he gets the feel for when he's got to start his, his toe tap and his, and his big leg kick, once he gets consistent with that, I think we'll see better production and more consistent production from him. And we see flashes of it. Right. I mean, it looked like, um, he was on time and he was kind of addressing the ball and really like seeing the ball rather than it looked like in the first, what, seven or first couple of series. He was really the first, what, for sure first the twin week. series. Yeah, yeah. The first whole yeah. week. It looked like he was just kind of swimming in his own dome. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, when you're that late, there's only one reason why you're that late is because you're thinking while the ball is coming up there and you have, four tenths of a second to react. There is no thinking you yeah. can't. So, um, and, and he was late on like 89 mile an hour pass. Exactly. Balls that, that were exactly. Like it's like, okay, you should be able to hit 89. If it's 99, it's fine being late, but 89. Sure. Yeah. I, I totally, yeah, I totally agree. So that's what I saw from him. And I, I do think again, you got the toe tap, the big leg kick. And I think he, once he figures that out and gets more consistent with that, and he just kind of understands his own body and what he's got to do. I mean, he just plowed through the minor leagues. I mean, he hit mm-hmm. incredible. You know, so he he hasn't really ever struggled, and uh, and I think I tweeted this out. It's, the idea is that you you go through struggles so that you learn how to get out of them quicker. And it's more like a mental thing, right? So mm-hmm. he'll learn to be like, okay, let's just focus on A and and throw away B, C, D, E, and F, right? And just that's what got me out of it last time. And uh, but it's hard to kind of embrace that when you're going through that, when it, especially with a team like I really believe this. It's yes, big leagues, a huge stage for any team and for any player. But 
in Milwaukee, it's kind of special, I think. You know, the fans yeah. really, really embrace the team more so than a lot of the other clubs, most of the other clubs out there. Obviously, the, the Cubs, the fans really embrace the team. Um, I don't know. I, it's a special place. It, it really is. Their fans are really loyal. They're really kind of in it with you. And, and, you know, players feel that. So I, I do think that compounds some, some pressure as well. Um, I don't know. That's just my take on it. And that's kind of how you think as a yeah. scout too. You're just kind of like really trying to think along with the players a little bit and really see some things that you may have picked up on as a player uh, from a teammate maybe that was going through something similar. And I don't know, it's, you're doing your own kind of like algorithms in your head, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Cause so, like you look at yeah. it like mechanically, like there's not really much different about his swing. It's just that, that he's behind everything and, Right. Yeah, it's just that mental game. And, yeah, if you're thinking too much, that can obviously lead to issues. And, you know, Travis Shaw had that kind of thing in 2019 yeah. when he got off to a rough start. And, like, that's where really kind of, you know, seeing something early on um, and getting some progress is really kind of important. Because, you know, if you have a bad slump in, like, the middle of the season, I, I feel like it's just different than a bad slump to start the season where, you're like, you don't have anything, you know, to go off of initially and then – Maybe you start pressing, and then when you press, things can get a lot worse in a hurry. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you, you, <clears throat> whereas, yeah, when you are going, when you're playing baseball and you're just kind of in the rhythm of the game, you know, you, you're, you're seeing the ball, you're battling with the pitcher, um, you're focused on winning, right, at, at the end of the day, well, you know, and you're focused on just competing, really. Um, competing against the pitcher, competing against, you know, the batter. If you're, if you're a pitcher or if you're a, you know, fielder that, uh, you, you, you know, you want to help, help this pitcher along, get this guy out. If you're playing third base, whatever, uh, it, but when you, when you're struggling and you're off to such a slow start, it's hard not to kind of look at the, the pet batting average out of, out of your periphery, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, you'll see it that you're hitting, oh, 40 or whatever it yeah. is, you know, two weeks now into the season and it starts to, starts to wear on you. Um, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's not about, I, I'm going to, I'm reluctant to ever really talk about my own, my own stuff as a player, just because like, you know, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I, I remember that I, I went through that in double A, went from low A to double A was one for, 45 or something to start off double A. I'm like, when are they going to send me down to high A? And uh, I eventually, and that's the other thing I was hitting some balls. I was hitting hard, right. And you saw that from Keston hitting some balls hard, right. At guys, I just saw that he lined out again tonight to second base, great swing. And that is talk about frustrating. It's like, well, crap, I can't buy a hit. I can't buy a hit and I don't feel good. And I'm pressing. So it's like, it's like there's 50 fielders out there at times and everyone's throwing a million at me with nasty stuff. It just compounds hundred percent. You, you, you forget that you have to just kind of forget about that and compete, just beat the pitcher. And that's, that's the lesson. It's harder to, harder to do. It's easier said than done. Yeah. And then on top of all of that, he's got the pressure of learning this completely new position. So you know, yeah. as much as you want to try and just ignore and just, you know, keep your mind off of, you know, that and kind of relax a little bit. Well, here is, you know, I'm out at first base and trying to, you know, remember, you know, where do I need to be standing and where do I need to be, you know, on a hit to this part of the outfield. And, you know, all those different things where he had been, you know, taught all these things about second base for so long. Like now he's trying to just add that, I guess, to the workload. And so, you know, how do you think that? really affects him as well yeah yeah probably at at first I I thought that could go either way right I thought I thought that would maybe create some pressure it's like well okay now I'm playing first base in the big leagues I better hit right Mm -hmm. um but I also thought it could be like well second base is really really hard and he wasn't that great at second base right he was adequate if that right I would say he's below average defender at second base. I think that's why we saw him move over to first. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, uh, so I thought, okay, move over to first should be easier. And it is easier. Let's be honest. First base is easier. It's then second base at the major league level, but it's still, it's still difficult. Like you said, Matt, and, um, I think, I think he'll get comfortable over there and be fine. I, the concerning part was like a couple of those throws that he made in spring training. And then he made one the other day in St. Louis mm-hmm. that were just like totally not even close. Not even close. Yeah. And he's fine throwing the ball from second to first. Not, he doesn't have the yips, let's say that, right? So right. it's like, yeah. how are you not that even close when you, you know, you, you're okay throwing it from second to first? So um, I don't know. We'll see. Look, I'm not, <laughs> I'm going to take my Homer hat off for a second and be, and say, look, there's concerns mm-hmm. from me. But at the same time, I think, if I were the GM, which I'm not, and I know, you know, who cares what I think at the end of the day, but, but it just my opinion, I would try and stick with him, pick my spots because if he figures it out and he gets more consistent with the bat, he can really impact the game. And that would be a good thing, obviously for the team. So. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of throws that weren't even close, did you see the throw from Javier Baez the other day here where <laughs> he threw that ball into Brookfield just sailed on him out there and yeah. God, the seventh row, if the net wasn't there. Yeah, that was, that was, I, I don't know if I've seen that. I don't know if I've ever seen that, that bad of a throw. Obviously you could see that it really slipped out of his hand. He was just trying to get rid of it. Oh yeah. Uh, with McKinney running there. Was that McKinney? I think, I think it was. Yeah, it might've been, eh, I don't but, know. but anyway, um, so yeah, he's a special player to watch, though. He's fun to watch. Got to be honest. Yeah, so. that's just a very uncharacteristic wide mm-hmm. throw from him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and as you're talking here about you know the struggles and and having to go through them to come out as a better player, uh, one guy who's already gone through that is Corbin Burns. Uh, he went through the big struggle in 2019. That was uh, that was painful for everybody to watch. Um, 8.82 ERA and just everything getting hit out of the ballpark. And since then, since, since he's come back into the rotation, he's got the best ERA of any starting pitcher in baseball. He's he dominated last year, sixth place in uh, Cy Young voting, and this year, uh, after his first couple of starts, he has been dominant. He's only allowed two hits so far on the season. Uh, what what are you loving uh, out of what you're seeing from Corbin Burns there? Yeah, Burns. Is this, so what he's what I see from him, and I don't know if this is, is this is exactly what Chris Hook and I've listened to a bunch of stuff that Chris Hook said about him, and I've listened to a bunch of stuff that Corbin has talked about with his improvements. But to me, what it's what it seems like he's been able to do is he's been able to <clears throat> kind of correct his delivery in terms, and it's and it's slight, right? So what he used to do is step across his body. And then he's already a bit of a head yanker and kind of a max effort thrower. So when he steps across his body, he's, he, he has trouble staying behind the ball more consistently. And he really doesn't, didn't really know what the ball was going to do once it left his hand. He was max effort. It's nasty. It's 98, 99 with cut. Um, he, he, had a, he has a nasty slide. He's always had the attributes but he never really had the command and the consistency to execute his pitches on a consistent basis. Now he's more online. He's not across his body so much. He's more online. He's a, and, and he just is consistent with that. And his head, I think is staying a little bit more still, even though there is still some, some effort to what he's doing. Um, and then he's able to stay behind the baseball a little bit longer and get through it a little bit longer. So he has some consistency as to what, you know, he knows what the ball is, is going to do once it leaves his hand. That's that's what I've heard. That's what it looks like. Um, so I don't see any reason why he's not going to continue this um, because he is commanding the ball so well and his stuff is so nasty. I mean, good luck yeah. trying to hit that night. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> absolutely disgusting. I, I have nightmares thinking about facing him. <laughs> Thank God I'm done playing. <laughs> so anyway. Not that I would have, but um, anyway, it's uh, I see a lot of good things from him, and that's uh, he's to me he's going to be better than Woodruff. 
at the end. Of, oh. Maybe we'll be talking about this at the end of the year, how Burns kind of overtook Woodruff in that number one spot and in terms of the rotation. As good as Woodruff is, I like him too, obviously. What a competitor, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, I, I'm big on the, the Corbin Burns hype train. Some might say I am the conductor of it. Oh, love uh, it. Actually, I would say I'm the conductor of it, but yeah, I, I think he's I think he's going to win uh, a Cy Young, perhaps multiple in his career. I mean, especially if he keeps pitching like this. I mean, he's got the the 98 mile an hour sinker plus the 96 mile an hour cutter, then 86 slider, and he's got 92 mile an hour changeup now that he's breaking out. Yeah. Like, what even yeah. what even is that? That's harder than Brent Suter throws his fastball. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, just just incredible stuff, and I. I think I saw Mark DeRosa on MLB Network give him a comp of Roy Holiday. Like the stuff mm. that he's doing, the, the pitch movement, the tunneling, that whole thing reminds him a lot of Roy Holiday. Mm. Um, and it's just it, it's just crazy watching him pitch. Like it is it is appointment. It is much watch television when Corbin Burns is out there pitching. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think I saw that thing that that DeRosa did, and, and he's right. It's you don't know when the when the ball is is being thrown with that kind of velocity and that kind of uh, power. You, you could say that's power stuff right there. Yeah. Um, that you and in in Corbin knows now he knows whether the ball is going to sink or cut, and he's got the ability to throw it kind of to an area. I wouldn't say that he's got Greg Maddox command, right? Obviously, or, or you know, Hendricks yes. kind of command. <laughs> there you go. But if, but if he's able to throw that kind of power to areas and then he's got the ability to throw it to an area with cut or sink on it, a hitter has no clue what it's going to do. I mean, how many – be interesting to, again, for the stat fairy to tell me how many strikeout uh, caught lookings he's got this year. Oh. Right? Mm. right? I mean, you guys are with me on that. Like the ability oh, yeah. to backdoor the cutter to lefties, how many guys is he frozen on that? I mean, that is disgusting. That is, it looks like a foot outside to these guys probably, and then it, it takes a it takes a uh, a right turn <laughs> right, right before yeah. it gets the home plate. So, in 97, yeah. 6, whatever, nasty. Yeah. I can tell you, because um, I have that up in front of me, that 11 of his 20 strikeouts this year have specifically wow. been on that cutter. Just Okay, okay, on the cutter. Yeah, yeah, one whole hit he's given up. The one home run was on a cutter, obviously enough, or oddly mm-hmm. enough, I should say. Yeah, um, yeah that yeah, was gone in the way to Buxton. Buxton yeah. And that was just yeah. insane. The fact that he was able to dig that out for a homer was insane. And Buxton's off to a crazy start this year, so credit yeah. to him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's doing work on that cutter. And I, I, I love that they uh, mentioned, I can't remember if it was Petrello's article today or not, um, where they talked about the fact that he kind of just – you know, leaned into the fact that his four seamer has cut. So let's just, you know, let's just work with that and, you know, have him start using that. He's throwing it 50% of the time now this year. Um, and Josh, one of our contributors uh, had written about the fact earlier that, Hey, does he need to throw even more cutters? And look at that. That's exactly what he's doing mm-hmm. and just dominating. And it's not his only dominating pitch. He's got some other is his slider can look wicked at times at sinking, like uh, like you said, fastball looks wicked at times. Um, it's just it's it's all terrible. If you're an opposing hitter, yeah. it's all terrible. And I feel bad for the Cubs who are going to come to the ball. I mean, I don't feel I don't. that bad for the Cubs because they're the Cubs. <laughs> but they're going to be coming to the ballpark tomorrow saying, man, we just want to get out of town. Now, who do we got to face? And it's going to be Corbin Burns that they have to wrap this series up against. Just poor, poor Cubs. Yeah, it, it, as a hitter, and I was, who was I telling this to? But as as a hitter, so you're facing the Cubs lineup, and you're facing Alec Mills, uh, Kyle Hendricks, which he got scratched. You're facing Zach Davies, and so all these soft throwers. Now you mm-hmm. might be, you might end up being old for the series because those guys can pitch, mm-hmm. but you're not uncomfortable in those at bats. You're kind of digging right. in. You're feeling, you know, you're seeing the ball really well. You might just roll over four times in a game because. Hendricks keeps throwing you a changeup that you can't necessarily pick up. But now, <clears throat> but with the Brewers, you got to face Freddie Peralta. You know, a fastball is coming. You can't hit it. Um, now he's throwing the slider as well. It's an uncomfortable yeah. feeling. Like, you know, like, why can't I get on top of this fastball? I know it's coming. I'm, hitters keep swinging underneath it. Then you got to face 
Woodruff and then Burns in this pop. The power stuff that kind of blows you away as a hitter, that's an uncomfortable feeling because you're walking back to the dugout like, I got no shot. These guys have disgusting stuff, and I must have a slow bat or something. I think I did have a slow bat personally, but but these guys are like the best in the world, and they can't get on top of these heaters, and they're just getting blown away. Their their door's blown off. So it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, and I agree, Matt, that yeah, get, get me out of Milwaukee type of feeling that these guys got to feel once they once they're done facing this rotation. Yeah, and just kind of a little, little side question: Who was the most uncomfortable at bat you had uh, against in the big leagues? Most un- uncomfortable pitcher you faced? <laughs> um, it had to be Aroldis Chapman. I faced okay, him when yeah. I was with the Mets. Yeah, yeah. it was power That's stuff. I mean, hundred and four and. I didn't face that. He was actually like nine. I don't even know how hard he was throwing, but it just, it looked like a million. And <laughs> it just, he, he was, and, and before the at bat, um, the hitting coach, Dave, Dave Hudgens, he goes, Hey, he's thrown 42 out of, out of his last like 45 pitches, 42 or 43 have been uh, fastballs. So just sit dead red. Well, Chapman throws me like three sliders in that at, at bat. I'm like, dude. I mean, it's not his fault, obviously. But yeah, uh, yeah that was an uncomfortable at bat for sure. Yeah, tough to pick up too, right? I mean, it's probably similar to Josh Hader. Tough to oh, pick yeah. up. There's a little hitch at the bottom of his delivery, hides the ball a little bit. Yeah, all uh, arms and legs coming at you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and then with Hater, it's arm, arms, legs, and hair coming at you too. So you know what? It's it's that's a great point. I was actually thinking about that. It's like, <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Burns grew out his hair this year because of uh, you know perhaps you know it's tougher to pick up the ball when it's coming out of your hair. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, no, Hater's been, um, you know, electric to start season. He had 100 miles an hour on opening day. Um, and I, I think you kind of tell the the fans were kind of playing a role, getting some adrenaline up there. Um, and you're kind of speaking to it a little bit before about, you know, just kind of the fan uh, connection with the team uh, and how it really kind of helps these guys out. And, uh, you know, I remember when, when you uh, came up to, to make your debut, there was, you know – a lot more excitement in the air because, you know, someone from, you know, Wisconsin, homegrown kid uh, coming up to, to now play for the Brewers. So what was it like for you kind of like feeling the the crowd there for, for your debut? Yeah, that I'll never forget. When people ask me what was the, what was the most memorable experience in my baseball career. And I, and there were some cool experiences. I had a walk-off hit one, one game in 2007 Pinch it at bat to get the team over 500 for the first time, like in like 20 years, something like that. It's something crazy, but that was an experience that was very memorable. Memorable. There's a couple other ones, obviously, um, it's a bunch of other ones that are super memorable. But getting called up for the first time was by far, I'll never forget it. And it was just the idea that local kid, hometown kid undrafted, went to UW lacrosse state school. I mean, how many fans of, of the brewers? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you're one, right? I mean, we're yeah. a, we're a product of one of those state schools and it's a great conference. Uh, it's division three baseball. Yes, but it's great. Everyone has these great experiences at all these schools, including Matt, you know, all, all the Wisconsin schools. And that's where I was a product of. And so, you know, fans, um, it, they pull for you when, when you're kind of one of them, right? I think that's what the state of Wisconsin sports fan is. Um, they're, they're, they're a group that uh, really is loyal and they can, you know, pull for their own. And that's, that's kind of what I felt when I, was, when I got called up. And um, I wasn't the most talented player. I just grinded my tail off. I got up there. Um, but they were all, I could tell everyone kind of was pulling for me and was really wishing me the best. And that was what was so cool and memorable about it. Now, when they called my name for me to hit, I had to remember how to walk the home plate (laughs) because the adrenaline that was pumping through my veins at the time was (laughs) unbelievable. 
unbelievable. It, it, I can't even describe it. Um, 45,000 fans screaming. It was, it was the bottom of the ninth with two outs. And the playoffs were still in reach, and we were down by one with a runner on first. I mean, it was it was the scenario in the game that also created some of that. Mm-hmm. But the fans and how loud they were, it's it was <laughs> I can't even. So yeah, it was very very. I was I had just a ton of adrenaline pumping through my veins, and uh, but I'll never forget it. I, I ended up punching out, uh, <laughs> struck out looking, Joe Borowski throwing 88 you would never pitch in today's game ever probably (laughs) he punched me out on a slider that was just off the plate way too close to take but um yeah i uh that was uh, that was it that was the most memorable moment now we did this with dilly a little bit so i got to do it with you of course um do you remember the pitcher you got your first career hit off of oh geez um Hang on, because how do I forget? I, this you guys are the second people to ask me in the last two <laughs> weeks, and I've forgotten it. It was um, I don't remember his name. He's just a middle reliever for the uh, for the Florida Marlins. It was yep. a 43 hopper off my hands that Dan Ugla ended up doing like a somersault because you know he wasn't a great athlete trying to field the ball and ended up beating it out. That was my first hit. Kind of yep. embarrassing, but. Wow. Uh, yeah. Single second off of Matt Hergis, I Herges. pronounced. Yep. Yes. And then scored later in the inning. Did I? I don't even remember. I was probably <laughs> I was so embarrassed that that was my first hit. <laughs> I remember they were throwing the ball right down the middle because the game was out of reach a little bit. And mm-hmm. and sometimes I've heard. I don't know if this is true, but it seems as if it was true for me that the <laughs> they were just trying to uh, give me my first hit. They were just throwing heaters right down the middle, and I kept being late on them. I, I, I was like, follow it's like, on, kid. Let's go. Yeah, just get the barrel on it. We're trying to give you a gift here, buddy. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's um, that's huge, and yeah, great memories um, for sure. And now we got another uh, Wyack guy uh, making his uh, uh, presence known with the Brewers, JP Fireisen from uh, Stevens yeah. Point. River and uh, River Falls native. Now he's coming up and he's uh, he's been a force out there in the bullpen so far. Six scoreless innings um, through his first couple of outings, six strikeouts. Um, what what have you seen from from Fire Eyes? And do you think he could kind of be the next in line of, of these you know really strong bullpen arms that the Brewers have produced? Um, I'll say. <clears throat> I, I like JP a lot. I, I'm when you say really strong bullpen arms. I, I mean, I don't I don't see him being like a, a Devin Williams or a Josh Hader, right? With 16 mm-hmm. strikeouts per nine or something like that, perennial All Star type of thing. I see him a very useful winning piece, though. Uh, Brewers, if they if you were gonna say what the Brewers' weakness is at this point, I think everyone would agree that they they have they're having trouble finding guys besides JP that have been able to perform and give, um, give, uh, you know, kind of pass, be that bridge between the middle, between the starter and then Devin Williams and Josh Hader. I think mm-hmm. everyone will kind of agree. And JP's been that he's been that kind of steady source of, uh, a bit, that steady guy to be able to, to bridge to, to Devin Williams and Josh Hader. So, um, you know, and he's pitched in a ton of games and he's kept the team close uh, on, on games that they've been out of, you know, been losing by a few runs, giving them an opportunity to possibly come back. So I, he's got a deceptive fastball that 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 plays well up in the zone. Guys either have trouble seeing him or he's got that ability to to have that vertical ride. Basically, he has good carry through the zone. Guys, it's a deceptive fastball. Guys are late on it. And then he's developed his his slider and his changeup. That changeup looks like a nasty split at times, right? And, mm-hmm. and that'll continue to get better. Changeups are always kind of the last pitch to develop for pitchers. But that slider is real tight. That's a true slider. Like Freddie Peralta calls that pitch a slider. That's a slur for me. <laughs> more of even like a curveball at times, but um, it's I mean it's effective. But what mm-hmm. JP's throwing, that's a true slider, meaning 
it looks like a heater right out of the hand and then right when it gets to the cutout it kind of breaks down and away has that little two plane tilt action it's a short break that's a true slider and it's effective and um I think he just continues to be success or uh, continues to be consistent in executing all three of those pitches. He's going to be just fine in the, at the major league level for a long time. I don't know if I see like closer type stuff. I'm sure he'll close some games over the mm-hmm. course of his year, but I definitely see a useful main. And look, that's harder than it. That's very valuable. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't you see relievers. They're so volatile. They're up and down all the time from the major leagues to minor leagues or performance to non-performance, it's really hard to be consistent. Uh, major league middle reliever, even some closers is extremely mm-hmm. volatile. So I like JP a lot. I really, really like him. I think he's going to be a very valuable piece to the Brewers this year. So speaking of that a little bit, um, who are then some of these relievers maybe that you see, um, could step in and be those guys. We've got, you know, a pool of guys to choose from. I know personally, a couple of us at the site really like Drew Rasmussen. I know he's had a little bit slow start to this year again, um, but he seems like he's got the stuff Mm. to jump in there. Um, But we've got some arms here to tap into down in the minors. Um, Who are some of those that maybe you're thinking could step in and fill in some of those gaps where like now we've got a, you know, top to bottom solid bullpen. Yeah. Um, so I, I, so Aaron Ashby, I mm-hmm. think he's a starter, but right. I, I think he could help this year if they want, if they need the help, nasty stuff, mm-hmm. instincts to pitch really good feel for the ball. He's got a little bit of a funkier delivery, which isn't totally typical of a starter, but I think the Brewers have proven that you can take some guys that aren't, necessarily kind of your traditional looking starter Corbin Burns is case in point you don't see that mm-hmm. kind of effort head whack and pull off at times from you know a top of the rotation arm see more of those types of guys in the bullpen but I think the Brewers have proven that you they can develop <clears throat> and, and get those types of guys consistent I think we'll see that out of Ashby he's just gotten better and better mm-hmm. um that was such a great draft pick. I think they got him in the fourth round. Yep, fourth mm-hmm. round. Yeah, it's a phenomenal draft pick. My buddy Drew Drew Anderson, who played for the Brewers in the big leagues, I think he was the the area scout at the time for for uh, Ashby there. But phenomenal. He's going to be he's he's one of my favorite pitchers in all of the minor leagues um, when I was scouting. I mean he's he's got he's got four weapons. I think his one of his breaking balls is better than the other. I forget which one. If it's a slider, his curveball, I think is. I think the slider, slider is what's graded out as the six, mm-hmm. like the sixty-five grade slider. I think. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but then he's got a, a developing changeup as well, and then he's up to ninety-six, six and sevens. Um, I heard even in instructional league, it was like eights, nines, Ooh. some nines or something like that. And in, yeah. in instructs, I know that was like a shorter. One inning stint and fresh arm off not playing, mm-hmm. um, but he's really exciting. Um, yeah, I think Drew Rasmussen, he's got the great stuff. I think he's just going to have to get comfortable at the big league level. Really athletic, strong type of guy um, with the really big stuff. Uh, the other guy is um, oh Ethan Ethan Small. I like I liked him. I did see him just the one inning back in 2019 right out of the draft. And it was like 94, 95, really deceptive fastball, uh, really carried and, and was really kind of explosive. That last fit 10, 15 feet when you see that little extra carry on it, had that going. Um, loved, loved, loved the mound presence, the ability to just kind of attack and really confident out there. Um, I heard his stuff was a little bit down, 80 in the upper 80s, but I don't know what that was attributed to. Maybe just that arm or something, not sure. Uh, but that was in spring training. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't actually see it. But uh, anyway, um, he's a, he's an exciting guy for me still. I think that, that's the one thing I did learn as a scout that – you know, you can't go off of, uh, you kind of have to have some conviction in what you see and when you see it and you can't just allow, you know, some, 
some small piece of information to necessarily get you off a guy. So I, I'm still still in on him. I, I like him a lot. Um, who else? I don't know. Give me some names and I can kind of talk through them. But the, those two guys stand out to me um, for for some help this, this year. Yeah. Um, so just just kind of uh, like we were talking about there with like spring training and guys that really just kind of stood out. I'm curious to kind of get your opinion on uh, Garrett Mitchell, the first round pick last year. Um, I know you didn't, you know, really see him a, as a scout at all, but I'm sure you've watched you watched, you know, some of his spring training at bats, and you know, he just really kind of seemed to be, you know, impressing not just the Brewers but really kind of across baseball. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, with, with not letting a small piece of information change your assessment, he really seemed to felt fall in the draft last year because of uh, his type 1 diabetes, which he's had since he was nine years old, and something that, that he's managed really well since then. Um, but it pushed him further down, even though he's probably a top 10 talent. The Brewers got him at 20th overall. Um, w- w- what have you kind of seen or, or heard about uh, Garrett Mitchell, if you've looked at him that much? I have almost no information on him. Okay. Well, then, yeah. I, I, that I did. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was last year out of the draft, and we actually did some amateur work on some of those draft picks, as far as our, the pro scouting staff, and to kind of to kind of help the amateur group. Um, and there was very limited video on him as an amateur. I saw I saw some at bats though. Um, obviously in spring training and he, he kind of killed it. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the talent is clearly there. My whole thing with him is, can he play a legitimate center field? So I know he can run, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean you can play uh, plus center field defense if he can, or even just average. And he's going to hit the way he showed like he can hit in spring training. Then Bruce other center fielder of the future. Right. Uh the bigger, bigger kid though, right? Wider shoulders, a little bit like built little, you know what? He's built a little bit like Billy McKinney in a uniform. Um, obviously Mitchell is a better athlete, more explosive athlete, mm-hmm. just straightaway runner type. But yeah, I think that would be the number one thing for me. So, if it, and even if he's not the center fielder of the future, it looks like he's got a real bat and looks like he's got a short, compact swing. And, and like we talked about with Keston, the opposite is true for guys that don't swing and miss. So uh, the, those there's a, a huge body of data that says that those guys that don't swing and miss and can impact the baseball are going to be very good major leaguers. So um, kind of have to trust it at some point when – so for me, it was the, the the what I saw with my eyes as I'm talking about how I process these players as scouts. Now, mm-hmm. what I saw with my eyes, the talent kind of like cross reference that to some of the players that I played with and kind of use my feeling instincts for what guys would end up turning out to be. Then you would look at the data as well as a huge piece of the puzzle. And if you saw a guy that you were in love with, but was a 40% strikeout guy in the minor leagues in a ball. Um, you got to adjust that grade, right? Those guys just right. don't turn out. And the opposite is true where you see a guy that you just don't necessarily think is that talented, you know, good baseball player. Yes. Um, not that talented. Don't love him. You like him, But then all of a sudden you see that he punches out 12% of the time and walks 11% of the time. And hit some extra base hits along the way, and all of a sudden those are the guys that are turning to Justin Turner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with Mitchell, perhaps I mean, look, he hasn't even played a professional game yet. <laughs> so, yeah. but perhaps you know, he, he you kind of I'll just I'm just kind of you know as you watch as Brewer fans, whoever's listening to this podcast, as you as you follow some of these prospects. Some of these guys, those are the things to look for. I mean, obviously, everyone's in love with the way that he moves around the field and the way he swings a bat and can run. Um, and it's a great-looking swing, a great-looking bat. I mean, he looks like a big leader today. Um, mm-hmm. But I just kind of, like, follow some of those other metrics that I just talked about. Probably going to be right on on uh, your assessment from there. Yeah. I think yeah. it's interesting, though, that, uh, like, the I guess the one concern that 
a lot of the other reports or whatever came out with was the uh, that he has raw power, but it, will it play in games? Because he didn't necessarily have a whole lot of home runs in college, even though, you know, in practice and everything like that, you could see the power that he had. Um, but your first thought in, like, actually physically watching him was the defense. Um, so I think that's interesting and in um, potentially just a different kind of scouting view. Yeah. So if you're the reason why I went that route is if you're a middle of the diamond player, your bat and your power and all that stuff doesn't have to be as impactful. If you're a corner, if you're a left fielder, you got to hit Mm -hmm. 30 bombs and hit 270 and drive it, you know, and and have an OPS of 840 to be an everyday player. You really have to hit. If, if, if you can play center field and you can play I mean, look at, look at JBJ. Look at Jackie yeah. Bradley. I mean, I think his career OPS is like 740, 780. He's an impactful major leaguer because he really plays the heck out of center field. He yeah. steals bases. He plays above his tools, really. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I said if he's a legit center fielder, like there's our center fielder of the future because he's going to – look, just watching a swing, that guy's going to at least have a 740 OPS, right, 750. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's where I was going with that. Um, but I think his power, just watching his swing, I think that'll come. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure why. I'm not sure why he didn't hit a, a ton of home runs in, in college. And look, nowadays, with all the technology and the slow video and you know, guys like Andy Haynes really kind of helping guys tap into some of that stuff, I mean, it, it's a matter of like, a couple of degrees into the zone, a little bit more upper, you know, up, not up, mm-hmm. uppercut, but um, launch angle. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this stuff is all within the last five years. I, my, I was done playing in 16. There wasn't, there was barely any hitting coaches that were talking about this stuff. And now everyone's talking about like tweaking swings and stuff like this. So you'll, so Garrett Mitchell is a guy that you can kind of, He'll probably tweak a, tweak a swing a little bit, and all of a sudden he's hitting he's hitting 30 homers. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah. you can tap into it. You see the bat speed. You see the hand speed. You see the way the ball jumps off the bat. Definitely in spring training it was. So there's a lot to like there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think he said that you know with college, with not tapping into that power. I mean, he was he was the leadoff hitter for UCLA. So mm-hmm. you know they, they're just kind of telling him like, hey, your approach like just just get on base, man, get on base for, for the big power hitters behind you. So he, I don't think he was really, you know, looking to get the ball in the air that much. Um, but yeah, certainly a lot to like there. And, uh, you know, men- you mentioned Andy Haynes, you know, working with them to, to maybe tap into it a little bit. A lot of fans are, have been very upset at Andy Haynes, um, because the <laughs> hitting was bad for one week. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, as I'm sure you can help attest to, uh, one bad week with the team doesn't mean the hitting coach needs to be fired. The hitting coach doesn't go up there and hit in the box. There's only so much that, that he can do. He can he can be helpful, but he can't hit for them. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's concerning. I didn't know that that's that was kind of the the sentiment out there. In, it's in, Twitter, you know. Sure. But- <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe people kind of jump on the bandwagon once they see one person kind of tweet something out there. Oh yeah, let's fire the let's fire the hitting coach. I mean, yeah, no, you you got to be patient. Andy, I'll tell you, I played for Andy Haynes. He was the manager in 2015 for New Orleans. Hmm. There's not a better baseball guy. If the if the Brewers hmm. moved on from Andy Haynes, that would be a mistake in my opinion. Hmm. Um, extremely smart. I mean, talk about a big. <laughs> He used to he used to talk about this, or maybe it was Charlie Green, but uh, he, he's the same way. Charlie Green's the field uh, he's the field coordinator in the minor leagues for the Brewers. Yeah, been there for 15 years. One, be, those are the two best baseball guys I've been around, Andy Haynes and uh, Charlie Green, and I've been around a lot of really really good ones. And they both talk about this isn't a hobby for me, right? Right. So, and I know, I know that's hard to, 
I know that doesn't mean a whole lot necessarily, like, but there's a lot, I'll tell you this, there's a lot of guys, especially in the minor leagues and even some in the big leagues coaches that it is kind of a hobby, <laughs> you know, Oh, it's just, I get to put on a uniform every day. And I mean, I'm not saying anybody on the brewer staff, I don't think there is. And I, and I was hard, pre- I'm hard pressed right now to think about anybody that I've ever had as a coach with the brewers that didn't really, really love it and take it super seriously um, just that there's a handful of guys in my career that I did think that, okay. But, but for Charlie Green and Andy Haynes, both those guys, they would say that this isn't a hobby. This is their life. And they're so passionate about it. You see Andy Haynes, he talk about players will talk about how early he gets to the ballpark and how late he leaves trying to help these guys, trying to unlock something. It is so complicated. Mm-hmm. He's helped, he's helped Travis Shaw already. Um, oh yeah. He, he kind of unlocked something and, it, and he, he told me that it took him a while to kind of figure it out what it was. And it's just watching video. It's just watching, you know, how he's reacting to some pitches, how, you know, he was really pulling off the ball and his hands were kind of getting buried behind him. He's actually, and he told him to kind of go to an old school mentality of using your hands more, not using your body as much. Right. And so now he's kind of synced up. And he's not pulling that front hip. But just the idea of, Travis, we're going to tell you to use your hands more. I mean, it's a simple kind of an idea. Um, but there's not a whole lot of hitting coaches that are saying stuff like that um, right now. It's it's more of, hey, we got to use the ground. And these force plates are showing that you're using, you know, not using the ground well enough. It's, it, it's getting really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. And the best hitting coaches are going to be the guys that are going to be able to simplify some of this really complicated stuff for the hitters. And Andy's yeah. one of those guys. Yeah. I think, I think fans always want the quickest and easiest answer, right? Yeah. So yeah. if we're not hitting, I want it now. Coach. If, yeah. if the Packers aren't winning fire LaFleur, that doesn't happen because fire Don right? Capers, right? Yeah. Fire Don Capers. <laughs> right. you know, the, the defense is bad. Fire the defensive coordinator. Uh, a hitter's not hitting, send them to triple a, you know, like there there were legitimately people who were calling for Hero to be sent to AAA or the alternate training site or whatever right now. It's like yeah, that is not that, that, that's, that's not, not gonna help. happening. He's got to swing his way out of exactly. it. Yeah. Right. So. Right. So, yeah, a lot of times it's just like, what's the easiest answer that? But it's it, it's really like refreshing, I guess, to hear um, the all of the reasons why. Like we we know that's not going to happen, but like it's good. It's nice to hear all of the reasons why that's not going to happen and why keeping Andy Haynes around will actually benefit the club, not make it worse. Like so many fans kind of seem to think it's going to do. And over the last week, things have been looking a little bit better. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah. You, this game is extremely hard. Pitchers have (laughs) a huge advantage. Pitchers have a huge advantage right now with all the data, all the analytics, Mm -hmm. they know your holes. So, Hitters have to figure out ways to adjust to the way that they're being attacked. Um, But things could be, I'll say this, things could be a lot. If you fight, if the Brewers fired Andy Haynes, who knows who you would get to replace him? Exactly. (laughs) Maybe you have someone better. Like, Yeah. yeah. And he is an extremely, extremely smart baseball guy. Extremely. He's a baseball genius. Okay. Um, He has his PhD in baseball. Um, And that's all he thinks about. And he's, he's in the, he's in these at bats with these guys. And um, I talked to him quite a bit. He's just, he, he stresses about it. He stresses about what they're going through. He, if you ask him how much he's concerned about whether or not he may lose his job, I guarantee you that's number 1,043 on his list of things to worry about, right? Yeah. He's not worrying about that. He's worrying about these guys and how he can help them get, get hits and how he can help the ball club win. But yeah, yeah. It's interesting I, I to know. Yeah. I, I don't think he should like, neither of us are, are in the camp that you should get fired. And we've been trying to caution people on Twitter. It's like, no, this is not happening. It's a bad idea. Let's calm down. Yeah. But 
it, it only works so much on Twitter because people that want to be angry are going to be angry. So, sure. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So there's only so much you can do there. Um, but yeah, uh, things have certainly seemed to be uh, looking a lot better offensively. And yeah, Andy Andy Haynes has really done some some good work with these hitters. And Travis Shaw has been having a really strong start to the season. So. Uh, there's a lot to like there. Things are, are certainly looking a lot better for the Brewers who are, who have taken a couple of series now from the Cubs and the Cardinals. So, uh, yeah, things are going well. Um, I think I think we're running out of time here for this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. So, Vinny Rotino, thank you so much, man, for for hopping on the podcast with us and, and talking to us and and giving us you know your your insight on the game of baseball, man. You got you got great perspective. Guys, I really had fun. I, anytime you guys want me on, I, I'll come on. I, I just love talking baseball. Um, I'll get better with the technology part of this. <laughs> I had trouble joining the call, but um, yeah, it, I had a blast. Anytime, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We, we'd love to have you back on and, and talk some baseball, talk some hitting. It's, you know, it certainly was a lot of fun for us. And, uh, you know, maybe we maybe we'll do this when it's not during the middle of a Brewers game next time. Uh, <laughs> That's so we right. Don't have to uh, divide our attention. But uh, Vinny Rotino, thank you so much, man, for for hopping on the podcast. And uh, he's got his own podcast too that he co-hosts now, Locked On Brewers with uh, Jake Mastroianni. I believe it's pronounced over there. Um, Mastroianni, yeah. Yeah, Mastroianni, and uh, giving his insight there for for Locked On Brewers. So uh, be sure to check them out as well. Um, and and check out all of our uh, previous episodes here on the Cold Brew Podcast and uh, all the future ones that we got coming up. New episodes every uh, Thursday morning here on the Cold Brew Podcast. So that'll do it for us this week. For Vinny Rotino, for Matt Carroll, I am David Gasper. We'll see you next week on the Cold Brew Podcast.